This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, good morning. Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, we'll be continuing on uh, where we left off. And uh, it's been a little while, a uh, few couple weeks since I've been here. Uh, I had to go back and look at the recordings to see uh, where I was whenever I... So stop me if you've heard this one. <laughs> um, uh, we will be beginning in um, verse 17 today. But uh, today we're going to be looking at the fear of God. Um, there, after... God gave the Ten Commandments on um, Mount Sinai. Um, uh, we, we just heard from Tom the passage where it says that the, the people feared and they trembled. Moses tells them not to be afraid, uh, but then he says that the Lord is testing them that they might respect him. Well, uh, in, uh, in other translations, the Lord is testing them that they might fear him, uh, that they might obey him. So, so first he's saying, don't fear. And then he's saying... He's doing this so that they would fear. So there's, there's, when we talk about fear, the fear of God in the Bible, there's, there's this tension. Um, he, he tells us so many times, and we like to focus on, on these passages where, where it tells us, don't be afraid. We, we put this on, uh, on our walls. We, we, we might have a, a shirt. Or I, I had a, uh, a, a hat whenever I was a teenager that said, fear not, you know. Um, and, and it was, it was um, uh, that's what we like to, to hear. We, we want to hear those exhortations. Don't, def- not fear, don't fear. Um, but also the Bible balances that with the fact that we are to fear him. Uh, we are to fear him. Some understand that as, as to respect him. And the, the purpose there that we were to, to fear him in, in the Exodus passage was so that we might obey him. Uh, sometimes that healthy fear of God keeps us from going off the rails morally. Um, we know that we're forgiven by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And, and, and some have, have uh, accepted what, what might be called antinomianism or uh, against the law. Uh, basically, uh, the idea that since we're forgiven, since, since uh, the, the, the law is done away with, and, and we, we no longer have to worry about that, um, and, and we just live however we want to. That's, uh, that's called antinomianism. The fear of God that he calls us to here should keep us from that kind of antinomianism. Um, we'll be looking today again at First Peter, uh, and uh, let's go ahead and look at our text, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 1. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways which you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the times in the last times for the sake of you 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Father, open our eyes that we might see and that we might praise you and that we might understand how to to obey you better. Father, open our ears that we might hear the voice of the shepherd that comforts us and commands us. Father, be with me, a sinner. Give me grace as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's think back to where we've been here uh, to to understand where we are here in the letter. The beginning of the letter, um, from from the very beginning, it was uh, telling us what God has done in Christ. It's telling us the, the fact that God has sent his son for us that he might he might die for us and and the things that he's done like causing us to be born again holding an inheritance for us that that will never fade away uh, and, and keeping us by his power he we have a, a great privilege of of revelation and that, that that we see the the things fulfilled in Jesus that even the old testament prophets they longed to see, and, and they, they, even the angels longed to look into. We, we, have, we stand in such a great privileged position as New Testament believers. We, um, uh, we, we experience the fact that we have been born again. We have been made God's children. We get to call on Him as Father, as this text says. Um, and then He turns... In, in verse 13, the, the past, last passage we looked at, and tells us because of what God has done, this is how we are to live. That, that indicative, that, because, that, that what God has done in Jesus always precedes the command. God has done this, and so because of, on the basis of the fact that He saved us, He's redeemed us, this is how we are to live. And He told us the last time we were together, as we looked at verses 13 through 16, we are to prepare our minds for action, to be sober-minded, to put our hope fully on the grace that's to come. We're putting our hope, because we're strangers and we're exiles in this world, uh, this world, in a way, is not our home. Our hope is not to be in the things of this world, but it's to be in that future glory when Jesus returns, when He sets all things right, when He wipes all of our, our tears from our eyes. That's where our hope is to be in. And also, we are to be holy as God is holy. Um, we're to be imitating our Father. Um, it tells us in, in the last verses that we looked at, um, we'll just look at this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. So the basis for being holy is the fact that we are already His children. He has redeemed us. He has adopted us as His children. And so then, in verse 17, it picks back up this thought that we have been become His children. And it says, And if you call on Him as Father, 
Him who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So, there's a condition here. Let's look at each parts of the, of the condition. There's a condition and a response here. The condition is, and if you call on Him as Father, if we're believers, if He has adopted us into His family, okay, we're doing this not on the basis to be, not, not in order to become Christians. We're doing what He's calling us to do here because we are. Because He has saved us. Because He has redeemed us. So if you call on Him as Father, and, and who is it that we're calling on as Father? He, he, he tells us this, this one that we call on as Father is the judge who judges impartially. The, he, he, he doesn't play favorites. He, he will judge each one of us according to our deeds, the Bible tells us. One of these days, everybody, from the least to the greatest, uh, from, from both the, the, the righteous and the unrighteous, will one day stand in judgment before God. And, and He is an impartial judge. He does not judge on the basis of our skin color. He doesn't judge on the basis of our age. He doesn't judge on the basis of... of uh, uh, economic conditions, whether we were, we were poor or rich. He doesn't judge on any of those conditions. He is, he is, in a sense, fair. He is impartial because there, none of those factors about a person causes him to play favorites. Um, fair, though, is not necessarily the right word. Um, because if we really got what was fair then everyone would go to hell <laughs> because everybody would get the same thing. God is not only impartial as a judge, but He is also merciful. And He has chosen to show mercy on those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who have thrown ourselves on Him, who have been adopted into His family. Um, so while, while we don't get that wrath and punishment that, that we deserve... He is a judge who judges impartially. He, he does not play favorites on the basis of any external condition. So we call on this just judge who judges impartially as our Father. Think about that. You know, if, if you're taken into a courtroom uh, and the judge is your Father. Uh, think about that for a moment. Um, if a human judge, because we were into a, in a courtroom and, and, our, and, and, the, and the judge was actually our father, if he just dismissed the case, right, we would call that unjust. We, we would call that unjust. But with God the Father, he doesn't just dismiss the case. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug and say it doesn't matter. No, he took the punishment upon himself. He came and lived a, a sinless human life. He did not deserve the punishment that we deserved, and he took on the punishment for him. And, and analogies always break down. You know, uh, um, it, it wouldn't be the same if a human judge decided, well, I'm going to serve your sentence for you. We'd still find some kind of injustice there. But with God, uh, what, 
what uh, human reason uh, finds, finds weakness in, it's the wisdom of God. What, what, what uh, Corinthians tells us uh, the, that um, to, to Gentiles, to Greeks, it's foolishness. But to us, it's the wisdom of God that he has done such a thing. So we call on this just judge as father, this one who judges each according to his own, to each one's deeds. And and because we call on him as father, the response should be that we should conduct ourselves with fear. Now, as we were saying, we, we love to hear it whenever God tells us, don't fear, don't fear. But we still have to have a healthy fear of God. Um, He says, um, conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. Remember, uh, this is not a fear that we have to have forever. It's, It's during this time of exile, during this time in which... We are awaiting the coming of Jesus. We're still living in in a time between the times in which this world is still under the sway of Satan. Uh, That that this world is still um, ruled by evil forces. And we await the coming time when Jesus comes. He wipes away all of our tears. He, He comes and he puts all of his enemies under his feet and he rules and reigns, and, and everything goes according to what our Lord commands. So in this time between the time, how are we to live? We're to be holy, we're to set our hope on the things to come, and we are to conduct ourselves in fear. Um, as the translation that Tom read from, we, we, we often get the idea that this is just a matter of, of respect, uh, and, and respect is, and reverence is definitely part of that. Um, but there is also a sense in which we ought to have a healthy fear. Like, um, for instance, we have a healthy fear when we drive. Okay? Uh, and that healthy fear doesn't make us so petrified and terrified that we don't get out in our car and, and go someplace. But that healthy fear prevents us from doing something stupid, right? We, we, we're not going to uh, drive 100 miles an hour down, uh, down a residential area because our healthy fear tells us if I did that, someone could get killed, right? Uh, and, and because of that, um, that, we, that healthy fear of God that we should have prevents us from going over the rails morally. So, um, and if you call on him as father, him who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile, knowing, okay, we're coming back to a reason, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Why is it He's saying, why is it that we should conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our exile? It's because we know that we were ransomed. We we were set free. We were once slaves to sin. We, We were once in bondage to sin. 
And Jesus came to set us free. He paid our ransom. We were, we were like slaves on the, on the auction block. And Jesus came and paid our price. He bought us with His own blood and He set us free. Hallelujah. <laughs> just, like, just like the first uh, verses we looked at in 1 Peter, that is something that should cause us to praise Him, right? Um, we, we, we live in fear because we were bought, we were ransomed from the feudal ways we inherited from our forefathers. Um, the, the way of living like the world is futile. It's empty. It leads nowhere except to death. That, that, is, that, is, that is the ways of the world that we, we live in. We, we were born into this world seeking after the ways of this world. But we didn't stay there. If we're believers, He has changed us. He has bought us. He has given us a new life and a new heart. He's brought us, brought us from death into life and from darkness into light. And, and we were ransomed from a futility. We now have purpose. We now have meaning. It's not this emptiness. We were ransomed from these futile ways of life inherited from our forefathers. It, biblically, uh, we're talking about original sin. The, the sin, the fall of Adam. And how sin came into the world. It was introduced by Adam. And, 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 and every successive generation, we have, we have uh, followed after the footsteps of Adam because we have inherited a, a nature, of, a sinful nature from our forefathers, from Adam. And we were ransomed from that. We were ransomed from that feudal life that we inherited from our forefathers. You know, um, I, I saw this clip that was going around about Tucker, Tucker Carlson. Uh, anybody watch Tucker Carlson on Fox News? Okay. Um, very uh, popular commentator there on Fox News. And, uh, and he made the comment about, you know, we, we, th we can think of our cultural moment right now uh, of, uh, uh, of talking about um, race and, and things like that. And he was talking about how the fact is um, we, we don't count people guilty because of their ancestors' sins, right? Uh, that People don't inherit guilt from their ancestors is what Tucker Carlson was saying. And I'm like, well, I understand what you're saying, Tucker, but that's not what the Bible says. We do inherit guilt. Uh, we inherited a guilt from Adam, and, and, and we are born sinners because of the, the sin that Adam and Eve first, first did, and, and, and we live, are, are born into this condition until the gospel comes to us, we believe in that gospel, and, and, he, and, and he cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. We were ransomed from this feudal ways, those feudal ways, these empty ways that we inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things. He, he, so the weight and gravity of what we were redeemed by is part of the reason why we should conduct ourselves in fear. We were redeemed, we were ransomed, from our feudal ways of life, inherited by our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
Now, when I think of perishable, I don't think of silver or gold. Do you? When I think of perishable, uh, just like I, I talked about a few weeks ago, um, when I think of perishable, I think of a piece of fruit, right? I, I think of a nice, juicy peach. Like, I, I've, I've used this illustration several times as we've been going through 1 Peter. Um, I, and and that, that nice, juicy peach, you know, you, you leave it on the counter for a while, it gets wrinkly, it gets smelly. We had to throw out some this week uh, because, because they were just getting... Woo, we got so many coming from our, our peach trees right now. But um, I don't think usually whenever I think of, uh, of perishable silver or gold. But here, we're, it's telling us the, the weight and the gravity of what we were redeemed with ought to cause us to live in fear. We were redeemed not with something perishable like silver or gold. Silver or gold in God's economy is pavement, <laughs> right? It, it's not, it, it, silver or gold is going to pass away. Compared, when, we, when we think of the eternal perspective and this, this hope that we're going to have, we have in an inheritance that we will one day receive, silver or gold, moth and rust are going to destroy. That's perishable. We weren't, we were not ransomed with, with something perishable like silver or gold, but we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ will last longer and is of more value than silver or gold. And it's because of, of the weightiness and the value of the, 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 the price that ransomed us that we ought to conduct ourselves in fear. Maybe think of something that is priceless, like a, a priceless per, work of art. Like if somebody gave you the Mona Lisa, okay, would you have any fear of displaying that in your house? Okay, would you have any fear? Would you, you'd have to get insurance, right? But what would you insure it for? Because it's priceless, right? So, so th there's, there's a fear of, of having something priceless that somebody might break in and steal it. Or somebody, it, 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 it might get damaged or something. Um, but instead, Jesus' blood is, is it's imperishable and it is so valuable. Because of the great value of His blood, we ought to conduct ourselves in fear. And then it goes on and it describes the value of Jesus' blood. We were, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was perfectly sinless. And, and that, that lamb here is, is talking in sacrificial language. Uh, in the Old Testament, you had to make a sacrifice uh, and, and that sacrifice had to be perfect, right? You, it wasn't good enough just to bring any old lamb to come and make a sacrifice to atone for your sins. No, it had to be a perfect lamb. It had to be the best of your flock. You couldn't have any kind of spot or blemish. And while Jesus 
This doesn't necessarily mean that he, he was physically perfect, but he was morally perfect. He, he had no sin. He, he, he was absolutely perfect. He was, and so the, the sacrificial system of having to have a lamb that was, was without spot or blemish points forward to the sinlessness of Jesus. It was, he was like a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He was, he was pre-existent. Whenever it says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, uh, it's not just talking about looking forward and knowing that Jesus was going to come. No, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Like John chapter 1 tells us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and it tells us, um, in the beginning was the Word, that is, the second person of the Trinity. The Word, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and everything was made through Him. So when we look at Jesus, the Word who became flesh, He was preexistent. He lived from all eternity past. He is one with God. So the value of the blood of Christ, we are reminded he is like a lamb that was that was without spot or blemish, and he was he is the eternal Son of God who split, shed his blood for us. He is the eternal he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But in these last days he was made manifest. Though he, he was predicted and talked about in the Old Testament. And, and, and he existed from all eternity. He appeared at a point in history, in space, time, and history. God came and, and lived among us as Jesus Christ. He, um, he was made manifest. It says he came, he was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come and live a sinless life and die a, a, a horrible death on the cross? Well, here, this text tells us it's for the sake of you, for believers. If you have been born again, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you have, 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 uh, have, have been adopted by God as, as one of His children, the reason that Jesus came and shed His blood was for you. Now, Oftentimes, I'm in circles where we like to talk about how God, that Jesus died for God. In the sense that it was because in Romans it talks about how God began to look unjust because he passed over sins previously committed, right? And Jesus had to then take our punishment so that... So that he, that he, was, he could show how God could be both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Because the Old Testament tells us um, in Proverbs, you know, it, it's an abomination to, to call, um, to, um, to justify the ungodly. But God justified the ungodly. How could God justify the ungodly? Romans tells us that the whole way that he could do that was in his own wisdom, that he 
carried out justice on himself, on, on Jesus. And so Jesus died as a vindication of God. And, and oftentimes in the circles I run in, we like to emphasize that, but there's two truths here. God, Jesus died to vindicate God, but God, Jesus also came for us. He, he shed his blood for us. And, and I don't think it's good to, to exclude one or the other there, uh, but both are absolutely true. He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Jesus came and his blood was shed for you. Who, through him, are believers in God. If if you are a believer in God, and I don't just mean any God, any generic God, but the God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in him, first of all, Jesus died in order to make that happen. It says, through Him are believers in God. It just didn't didn't happen. But what Jesus did on the cross had to take place in order for us to have our eyes opened. For us to be awakened. For us to go from darkness into life. It, It had to happen that Jesus poured out His blood on our behalf so that we might become believers in God who raised Him from the dead. God, the Father, the Bible tells us, raised the Son. Um, The Son, Jesus, died upon the cross. He was buried. And the Father raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. Uh, he, he, he rose from the dead, and as, as it says, He gave Him glory. It was, it was at the, the resurrection in which Jesus claimed to be who He was, was proven. He rose from the dead, and, and because He rose from the dead, His followers saw Him, eyewitnesses saw Him, and, and, and later, 40 days later, Jesus ascended into heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of God. He was given glory. He ra- not only raised him from the dead, but he, he, he seated him now at his right hand, and he's reigning, and, and he is also right now our intercessor. So that your faith and hope are in God. He's done all of this. He's done all of these miraculous work. He, he's, he's sent his son let him die upon a cross, rose him from the dead, and ascended him into, into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God so that your faith and hope are in God. So, we'll step back here a little bit. God has done all of these things for us. He has adopted us into His family so that we can call Him as Father. He has, has ransomed us from a futile way of living, an empty way of living. And, and He has ransomed us with this, His own precious blood. Just, and, and as Peter describes this, the precious blood of Christ, he goes on and on and tells us about the, the, the amazing, indescribable value of, of who Jesus was in saying that He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was God in the flesh. 
All of that ought to cause us to praise Him on one hand, and it ought to cause us to fear Him, to live in obedience. And God doesn't want us to fear Him with dread. He doesn't want us to fear Him in a sense that, like in the parable, I know you're a hard man, right? You you know your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. And that it would paralyze us. And that we wouldn't, but God wants us to fear Him in that healthy sense of knowing one day I'm going to stand before Him. One day I'm going to stand before Him along with everyone else and I'll be judged impartially. We have to fear Him, and that ought to cause us all the more to throw ourselves on Him. For He is merciful and kind to those who take refuge in Him. Hallelujah.